1 John chapter 5 and verse 13. That's the focus of our study this morning. Just one verse, in a way, setting up for the conclusion. So instead of just diving into the conclusion of, a, of this epistle, um, we're nearing the end. I'm not intending to drag it out, but there's really, really good stuff in the closing verses here that I want to look at separately, well, um, individually at least, take time for each one. And so this morning in verse 13, we're just going to set up the conclusion over the next several weeks, and then we will finally come to an end of 1 John. I really enjoy 1 John, a practical, theologically rich, um, just a wonderful epistle of uh, assurance of salvation. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13. If you have your Bible open in front of you, let me just begin by, by reading to you a working definition of doubt. Consider doubt this morning. That is what John is writing to uh, writing to deal with primarily. He's trying to counter doubt. You've experienced doubt. I've experienced doubt. You may be doubting a number of things this morning or recently. Working definition of doubt is, quote, to lack confidence or to consider unlikely. So be a working definition of doubt. In the Bible, the very first expression of doubt is found in Genesis chapter 3. Do you remember? When Satan tempted Eve, God had given a clear command regarding the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Do you remember? Do not eat of the tree of good and evil. This was a very clear command given by God. It was laid out, and Adam and Eve both heard and understood it very clearly. There were specified consequences of disobedience. Satan introduced, then, doubt into Eve's mind when he asked, did God actually, I mean, did he really say that you should not eat of the tree in the garden? Should you really not? Did God really say that? You know what Satan was doing? He, was, in effect, was seeking to raise and foster doubt in the mind of those that God had spoken to. Satan wanted Eve to, to lack, um, uh, or excuse me, to, to have doubt in God's spoken word. And when she affirmed God's command and said, no, 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 um, God said not to eat of this fruit, and she even included the consequences, Satan replied with denial, further seeking to create doubt in Eve's mind. The stronger statement of doubt from Satan was this, you will not surely die. Doubt is a tool used by Satan to make us lack confidence in God's Word. Doubt is a tool that's often employed by Satan to cause us to lack confidence in God's holy spoken Word. John knows this. God knows this. He leads him to write. And so John writes this epistle to us in chapter 5 and verse 13 is one of the many 
purpose statements of the epistle. Confidence in God and His Word enables you to live a life that is free of doubt. So said another way, you could say this, confidence means the absence of doubt. Confidence means the absence of doubt. Look at the passage. Verse 13 says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. Father in heaven, as we have scriptures open in front of us this morning, and we consider this passage, this entire epistle, that was written for one of the reasons being to remove all doubt, to bolster, to build, to strengthen our confidence in what you say concerning our salvation. Guide us, Lord. And I pray that we would leave with renewed strength and confidence in your word this morning, for we can always, certainly, and completely be trusted. In Jesus' name, amen. As I was mentioning earlier, verse 13 is the beginning of a climax to the book of 1 John. As you read throughout this precious epistle, if you go back and read through, and I invite you to do that, maybe even this afternoon on a rainy day, grab a cup of coffee or tea or a glass of water, whatever it is um, that, you would, that you would enjoy, sit down and just read through in entirety the book of 1 John. Be reminded of the things I'm going to show you here this morning as we set up the conclusion. Here are some purposes that he gives. In chapter 1 and verses 3 through 4, the purpose was to provide fellowship. Then you come to chapter 2 and verse 1, you would see another purpose, and that was to prohibit sin. Sin was to be prohibited. And in chapter 2, verses 5 through 10, we see more purpose in this epistle. It was to promote love. Love has been quite the topic and conversation of the messages of late from 1 John, hasn't it? In chapter 2, verses 12 through 14, you see one of John's purposes was to pr- proclaim forgiveness. And then in chapter 2, and verse 26, we see another purpose, and it was to, to, provide, to, to show a protection of the believers. And then we come to chapter 5 and verse 13, and we see a purpose was to provide assurance of salvation. John was concerned with building confidence in the hearts and minds of believers concerning their salvation. Why? Well, we've discussed this. You're familiar with it. The Gnostics of the day were stressing that superior knowledge was obtained only if you were to join them and adapt their style and understanding, which was not biblical. And this was causing some Christians to doubt their faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. And so John repeatedly stressed the true knowledge available to every believer. Does this theme sound a little bit redundant already? Over the last few weeks, those of you who attend regularly and we've been studying together this, yes, John, we get it. Salvation in Jesus Christ is it. That's all we need for salvation. And it's rightly placed. The testimony of all of these things preceding in verses 6 through 12 remind us of the reliability of this. And John writes continually because doubt is a very real experience even in Christian lives. 
in a number of different ways, but even in salvation. And so John repeatedly stressed the true knowledge available to every believer. And as he concludes the epistle, he centers his thoughts on the certainties which a believer can know. These things you can know. These things I have written so that you may know. Seven times in these nine verses, he used the word know or gnosis, this knowledge, this knowing something to emphasize the great certainties of the Christian life. So Christians, here's the message this morning from 1 John 5, 13. Will, you will see, you should see that in this passage the, the, that you can possess full confidence in God for salvation. And furthermore, it is God's will that you have complete confidence in Him. This is what He desires of us. And so as we set up the closing of this passage, we can see firstly, Christian, you absolutely can be confident. It sounds rather simple, very simple understanding of reality here in this passage. You can be confident. Christian, it is God and His will, it is God's will for you to have full confidence in your salvation. The people being addressed in this letter is not just everybody in the world, but the people being that this letter is addressed to are born-again believers. Notice the text. It says, unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. And so, since belief or faith is essential for salvation, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 reminds us of this, it follows that no one except the believer can possibly have a valid assurance of salvation. Only born-again believers can have assurance of salvation. Sadly, there are those who base their assurance on salvation on things like works or ceremonies. And, and when assurance is sought after through these or other man-made um, um, avenues or, or ways, man-concocted, incapable means, when those are pursued by one, one never knows whether they have done enough. So even that unfounded false assurance is shaky at its best. But John writes to say otherwise. Keep in mind that this epistle was intended to build the assurance of believers, not destroy our assurance. God has designed salvation to be by faith and to result in good works. You should go back and listen to our study in James that Pastor Chris has been leading on, especially this last week, and understand the clear, the clear difference between salvation by faith that produces works, not salvation by works. John is very clear, or James is rather clear on this as well as we understand this. And so this is what John is speaking of here, this, this assurance of salvation. God has designed salvation to be by faith and to result in works. And so even so, 
it, it, is, it is wrong, Christians, listen, it is wrong for us to too quickly jump to an assumption or a conclusion that just because we don't see good works taking place, that someone therefore is certainly not saved. We need to be very careful to jump to that conclusion. It's also wrong to assume that the person who does not evidence the spiritual life set forth in this epistle was, was never saved at all. Clearly, they are never saved because I don't see the things that are in 1 John here. And it seems counter to what John has been saying so far to, to give those statements. But the Bible shows us that saved people can and do sin. We ought not to, but born-again believers do sin from time to time. We have the ability, unfortunately, to sin, even grievously in some cases as did uh, um, the scripture refers to righteous Lot, who sinned greatly as well. But it is by grace that we are saved and by grace that we are kept in salvation. Paul wrote to the Galatians in chapter 3, verse 3, Are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? He's speaking to the, the, the assurance, the, the security, rather, of our salvation. You have been saved in the Spirit, so why would you be so foolish to think that it is the flesh, it is man, that maintains that salvation? Because it is not. So here's the point of John's writing here. Saved people who do not line up to their spiritual expectancy may, and, the, and here's the most sure response and reality to that, they will um, lack assurance of their salvation. Let me put it another way. Christians, listen, when you don't walk in fellowship with the Lord, when you're not living in obedience to His Word, then doubting your salvation is a sure feeling that you're going to experience. This is what John is writing to speak of. So again, John is not writing to convince them that they have never been saved before, but to explain how they can know the true assurance of eternal life. How? Well, this is what he's been writing about. We go back and look at some of the things he's written. Eternal life, friends, praise the Lord, is a permanent possession of every believer. When a believer makes a choice to sin now, it doesn't mean that salvation is ever lost. Salvation is permanent. It is, it is life which is endless in duration and spiritual in nature. That's eternal life. Uh, a, a theologian by the name of Curtis Vaughn writes and describes this life of God and the believer um, I think he writes it well when he noted this, and I quote, Existing eternally in God, it has historically manifested in the coming of Christ, chapter 1 and verse 2, and becomes ours in the experience of the new birth. That's John chapter 3, the Gospel of John. Jesus Christ is, as it were, the great reservoir of life and is the one who mediates it to us. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 12. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. So we have been given 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13 
as an assurance that the believer who is practicing the spiritual life outlined in this epistle can be confident of their eternal salvation. We go back and look through 1 John, and we look at all these different ways of, uh, of living and responding, and we're going to survey those in a minute, and we say, aha, when I see these things, when I experience these things, when I do these things, it is these things that give me the confidence of the assurance of my salvation. This is what John is writing. So this is why we've been given verse 13. This is, his, this is the author's intent in writing verse 13 of chapter 5. John is not overlooking the very real doubts that Christians can experience about their salvation. Have you ever doubted your salvation before? It's not all uncommon for believers to, from time to time, doubt and consider, am I? Am I born again? But John says he has written these things rather to the believer so that they may know that they have eternal life because their faith has been placed in Jesus Christ. And by the way, this eternal life is a present and continuing reality that only God's children can enjoy. It is God's will that every believer has full confidence in their salvation. And if it's God's will, how do we get there? And John writes all through 1 John saying, well, look for these things. Notice this. If you do this, if you believe this, these are all indicators of your salvation, which will boost your complete and full confidence in the assurance of the security of your salvation. And here's the purpose of 1 John. Speaking of the purpose, what is God's purpose in us being confident? What is the purpose? Why does God want us to remain confident? Why, why does he want us to be confident? If we're saved, why do we need the confidence that we're saved? Well, John wrote that ye may know that ye have eternal life. And this is the last of several purpose statements in the epistle. And this particular statement is the, 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 the capstone to all the other purpose statements throughout 1 John. John's other writing, the Gospel of John, is... Uh, you could say it's John's account of the life of Christ so that it is, um, um, so that its readers, the Gospel of John's readers, might have eternal life. This is what he says in John 20, verse 33. The Gospel of John, verse, uh, chapter 20, verse, excuse me, chapter 20, verse 31 says, These are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God and that believing you might have life through him. So here's the purpose of the gospel of John being written, that people might believe. And then we get to 1 John, and the same John, the same writer, the same apostle, writes and says that these, this letter was written so that they might know that they have eternal life. The gospel of John, so that they might believe. The epistle of John, so that they might know that they have eternal life. I like how John Stott summarizes the message of both writings this way uh, from his book, uh, The Epistles of John. He says this, putting together the purpose of the gospel and epistle, John's purpose is in four stages. Here's the four stages, as uh, um, theologian commentator Stott puts them. That the readers should hear, hearing should believe, believing should live, and living 
should know. I believe this accurately and helpfully summarizes the Gospel of John and 1 John together as the themes. And so while some claim a person cannot know that they are saved this side of death, or that it is presumptuous to claim to be saved, dear church, you know this already, the final authoritative biblical truth stands that we can know and be certain of our standing with God. It ought to never rightly leave the lips of a Christian that, well, I'll just see what happens when I get there. I hope that he'll let me in. John says, no, these things you can be certain of. In fact, it's actually presumptuous to deny that we can know what God's word clearly says that we can know, that we can't know. It's presumptuous to assume that we can't know what God tells us we can know. And so back to the purpose of this sure confidence. Why does God want us to be fully and completely confident? What is the purpose in all of this? Those who are uncertain about their eternal future find it hard to be confident in the present living in life right now. See, John knows that the lack of confidence in our eternal destination one day absolutely changes the way we live today from day to day. By reassuring them that they did indeed have eternal life in Christ, John was working to rebuild their confidence in the face of conflict that they were living in. Their belief in Christ meant that they had eternal an eternal relationship with Him, and that confidence gives a supernatural stability in the midst of everyday struggles in life. That's right. A correct theology and a confidence in my eternal life through salvation, through Jesus Christ alone, changes the way I live now. It provides a supernatural strength and an ability in my life to live each day for the glory of God, knowing what will happen knowing I possess eternal life, knowing that I have read the end of the story, knowing what ultimately will come about. This changes the way we live now. And you see, the assurance of salvation is not merely a, a, uh, a spiritual nicety, as it were, without a practical bearing on our lives. There is practical outworkings of living in confidence of our salvation. John knows this, and he writes to build this. 1 John 5.13 shows us a, a person may be saved whether we feel saved or not. This is a reality, folks. So much of the subjective world and culture we live in today teaches and strives and pushes for, well, whatever you feel is truth. And John writes in complete counterculture to that and says, I don't care how you feel. These are the indicators. This is the reality of salvation, and you can have full confidence in that, whether you are struggling with doubt or not. God wants us to live in confidence. He doesn't want us to, to live in life doubting our salvation. And so the implication of this verse implies that it is possible to be saved but also experience doubt of that reality. That is possible. That is possible. In fact, most 
it should go without saying, most that have come to me in the ministry that I've spoken with and sat down with and said, Pastor, I just am not sure. Many times with tears running in our face, I'm not certain I'm saved. I don't feel like I am a Christian. Which, where do you think I take them in Scripture? 1 John chapter 5, particularly. Sometimes, if time allows, I walk through 1 John and say, do you, do you love the Lord? I, I want to. I love Him. Do you want to be around the Lord's people? Yeah. Do you want to know what His Word says? Absolutely. Do you feel guilty when you sin? Yes, I do. These are all indicators of experience of only a born-again believer. One in which the Lord is working in your heart and life. And so there's a, there's a need to be careful in distinguishing between salvation and the assurances of salvation. Fact is, every believer is saved. <laughs> but not every believer possesses assurance that they are saved. And so John writes to say, God wants you to be confident and here is how you can be. Here's kind of the summary capstone statement of the epistle of 1 John. As we're bringing it to a close, understanding these things. This, this lack of confidence is not God's will for you or me. Doubting our salvation only works to rob us of joyful living. It stunts spiritual growth. It, it cripples spiritual usefulness. But all of this does not alter the fact that you are saved if your faith and trust is in Jesus Christ alone. And so we see the basis of our confidence. John wrote these things. Do you see that? First part, the first two words, verse 13. These things have I written unto you that ye may know that ye have eternal life. What are these things? Let's, let's bring this to a close this morning by surveying some of these things. Do you have your Bible open? Please look at it with me. I want to show you several verses. I'm just going to note it and read it, comment on it, and we'll move. But let me survey what these things, what verse 13 is pointing to. It's calling us to stop, to remember, and to consider what the basis of our confidence is. Remember what has already been said, John is saying. So that these things are not just th this verse or even the paragraph that surrounds verse 13 in chapter 5, but the entire epistle. So remember with me the characteristics, the behavior of those who are born again and possess eternal life. Notice verse 7 of chapter 1 to begin. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. How do we know? How is our confidence bolstered? By walking in the light. Notice verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Verse 9 boosts our confidence when we're reminded and when we are continually confessing our sin and not living in habitual sin. Go over to chapter 2 and verse 3. The scripture says, And hereby we know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. By keeping His commandments, we grow in our confidence of our salvation. 
In verse 28, as we continue on in the survey, it says, And now, little children, abide in him that Abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. How is our confidence bolstered as believers? By abiding in him, maintaining a close and right fellowship with him. Go to chapter 3 and verse 3. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. How? By hoping in Him, not the government, not the church, not others, but hope in Christ. Ch- uh, chapter 3 and verse 9 says, Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his Son remaineth in Him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. Verse 9 of chapter 3 tells us, boosts our confidence, it affirms our confident salvation, Because believers, born-again believers, do not continually and habitually live in sin. Chapter 3 and verse 11 says, For this is the message that ye heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. How do we know? How does this help our confidence? How does this give us assurance of our salvation? When we love the brethren. Chapter 3 and verse 17, we're nearing the end of our survey here, says, but whoso hath his, this world's good, and seeth his brother hath need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? And so by a negative contrast, we see here that you can confirm and be assured of your salvation by the compassion that you demonstrate toward the brethren in need. Chapter 3 and verse 23 says, And this is the commandment that we should believe on the name of the Son of Jesus Christ and love one another as He gave us commandment. Those who believe Jesus to be the Son of God. Chapter 4 and verse 1 says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. How? To test the spirits. Chapter 4 and verse 13 tells us, Hereby know we that we dwell in Him, and He in us, because He hath given us of His Spirit. Possession of the Holy Spirit in our lives builds confidence and assurance of our salvation. And then chapter 5 and verse 2, By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. Loving God and again keeping His commandments. By these things we know. Verse 9 of chapter 5 tells us, If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he hath testified of his Son. Believe the witness of God. Verse 10 of chapter 5. Look at this overwhelming evidence to boost our confidence. Look at this. Verse 10 says, He that believeth in the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God has made him a liar because he believeth not the record of God, the record that God gave of his son. So verse 10 of chapter 5 communicates that we believe in the Son of God for salvation. All of these things is what John is speaking of when he writes chapter 5, verse 13. These things things have I written unto you. 
that ye believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. How can I know I'm born again? Because of the entire epistle of 1 John. What a tremendous little letter, isn't it? What a wonderful passage of Scripture. Folks, the fact of our salvation is dependent upon your faith in Jesus Christ. But the assurance of your salvation is dependent on your walk with Christ. John is saying this, as we do the things written in this letter, we will have the confidence that we are truly saved. And this is how confidence is maintained, by living, walking, and being the born-again sons and daughters of Jesus Christ. Confidence falters when we doubt. Because doubts cause uncertainty and tentativeness. But thankfully, through God's word, we are taught the distinctive marks of the Christian. As, as John writes to uproot the doubts that false teachers were seeking to plant in the minds of believers. When we come to know that we truly belong to Christ, that knowledge gives us confidence that we need for living in this topsy-turvy world that we live in now. Only knowing Christ can provide confidence and provide strength to stand in the struggles of life. The last several verses are going to get very practical. Oh, so helpful for everyday Christian living. And in two weeks, I plan to be back into 1 John with you and look at these. Confidence in prayer, confidence for living, and so on. But for this morning, as we set up the conclusion, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, please cause us to reject self-confidence and to rather rely on your saving grace for courage to live for you today. Help us, Lord, to see that our confidence for life is rooted in the gospel. Thank you for your scriptures that show your will for our confidence to be full. Thank you for the victorious living that we can enjoy that is brought about through our confidence in you. Oh, Lord, thank you for your word. May we grow to love it, to be in it, to know it, to treasure it. It changes our lives and our living. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the assurance of your salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.